2: We're taking a break from the podcast for just a second. I wanted to let you know that I know what you're thinking right now. Ever since basketball came back, you can't get buckets out of your head. And we're not just talking about basketball buckets. We're talking about Kentucky Fried Chicken buckets. You watch them. You crave them. That's how it works. I get it. You know, it happens to me all the time. One minute, I'm talking about buckets on the podcast. The next minute, I'm daydreaming about the $10 Mighty Bucket for Two. I mean, how could you get your mind off four pieces of chicken, two original recipe tenders, two individual fries, two dips, and of course, a popcorn chicken. But don't worry. It's normal even happens to most NBA players during games. So just means you're hungry. Um, order your bucket online at kfc.ca and get it before tip-off. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Malou. Joining me on the podcast this week, uh, one of my favorite people in the Raptor game, Zarar Siddiqui of Raptors Republic. Zarar. what's going on, buddy?
1: Man, uh, I think I'm over the Celtics loss. Um, you know, it, 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 took, it took less time than expected, to be honest with you. Uh, for whatever reason, I can't explain it, maybe maybe over the quote-unquote summer I'll parse that more, but I'm kind of over it. Uh, I think um, Kawhi losing last night definitely uh, helped a little <laughs> bit, you know, so uh, I'm good, man. That
2: was good. I, I wanted to touch on that. First off, actually, with the Celtics, see, that's the thing, I was a little surprised when you said that about the Celtics, because I know, you know, this is like it, old, old days of Raptors Republic, um, the Celtics were not referred to by their full name, the Celtics, there was a different name. Just, you know, uh, to keep it PG, we're just going to not review that. But there was a different name for the Celtics back then. Um, And then, yeah, the Kawhi thing, I'm happy you brought that up because, uh, you know, I, I didn't necessarily need to have the title validated. You know, I felt happy with the championship. I feel satisfied. But the fact that Kawhi left and, you know, decided to walk away from a championship team, on his own accord, not even just forget signing a five-year deal. He could have just run it back one year and, 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 defended his title. He chose not to do that. Goes to the Clippers and then to lose in that fashion. I mean, it's just, I love Kawhi. That's the thing. I love Kawhi, but that rest of that Clipper team, they're nobodies. They're a bunch of clowns and they look like it uh, in the last three games.
1: Yeah, uh, for, for sure. I mean, I, I don't think I needed uh Kawhi to validate any sort of title thing for me. Uh, Mm. I don't think it was ever about that. Uh, I think it was just, it it was more about, hopefully he realizes how dumb he was in making his decision, Mm. right? From a basketball perspective, this home stuff, whatever. I mean, I don't don't know where the soft stuff goes, but just from a pure basketball perspective, I I hope he realizes that in the East, he could have walked to the NBA finals, walked to it. Uh, and, And I think the Boston series kind of showed that how easy it is to actually come out of the East this year mm-hmm. uh, with Kawhi. There's no doubt about it. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that that exit kind of makes him look, makes him reflect a little bit on what he, the opportunity to returning into the finals that he gave up. Not so much that he left Toronto and all that, but it's just that, Maybe he has a little bit of self-reflection on there. Mm. And I 100% agree with you, man. Uh, I, I think the rest of the Clippers team is is basically trashed. And, I, and I've never been a uh, Doc Rivers fan. So uh, it's uh, it, 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 there's, a, there's a lot of schadenfreude there.
2: Yeah, the, to to become the first coach to blow three 3-1 three, leads is an amazing stat. I don't think anyone else will even get into a position to... <laughs> once you blow your first 3-1 lead, your job's already in trouble. If you blow three of them... I don't know, man. Not, not many coaches are going to last that long. But, um, yeah, it's just, you know, that, that whole franchise is just kind of rubbing the wrong way the whole season. They kind of acted like they had uh, done something when you're literally the Clippers. Like, you didn't see the Raptors acting this way after the Raptors, you know, I mean, got past the second round uh, last year or even got to a Game 7. Like, these guys yeah. are just – they're dancing. They're prancing. There was a shot of um, their girlfriends and wives on the bench with uh, Lawrence Frank. You don't know, have that weird little seating area and they were all jamming and dancing as well when they were up 3-1. You know, up, like I think, 19 points against the Nuggets in Game 3 or, or and, the third and, and quarter. That's the it's Unbelievable. the
1: Clippers. Like, it's the Clippers, man. Yes. I mean, and sometimes we, we lose sight of the fact that it's the goddamn Clippers. Mm. And for, for years, their best player was Lamond Murray. Yeah, see, like, I don't even know who that is. <laughs> he got traded to the Raptors. In uh, Lamond Murray got traded to the Raptors as, I think, support for... I don't know, some, some Babcock era deal. And he was supposed, he was going to be our like scorer to support Bosch. And he ended oh up play, playing goodness. like uh, like, I don't know, half a season or whatever. And then when they signed Kawhi, I thought they acted like they had won the title. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. With the whole press conference with like bomber hugging everybody. It's like that, that looked like a title celebration press conference, yeah, not yeah. a, I just signed a guy and I'm going to combine a a, combine a bunch of people who've never played together. And then you talk, and if, that, if that's the cake, the gravy, is is uh, uh you know playoff P, oh, just man. missing everything from three, <laughs> and like I I had friends man who were who won a lot of money by on bet three sixty five by betting under on how many threes Paul George would hit, Ooh. because even even betting companies were overestimating his ability to play, and th- I know a couple of people who made a killing just by going field goals made under on Paul George. And that was.
2: Yeah. I mean, look, you know, you, you, you probably played basketball for a long time in your life. Um, You probably shot a fair number of baseline jumpers. It's not easy. There's no backboard. Have you ever hit the side of a backboard on a baseline jumper before? It feels like that's physically difficult. (laughs) I have, I have, have. I'm not going to lie.
1: I have I many times, many times. (laughs) Oh, all
2: right. Well, at least, uh, you know, you know, Kawhi didn't uh, leave a championship team to play with, uh, with you on the RR squad. Um, (laughs) But enough about the Clippers and Kawhi. Look, listen, you know, it could have been a, they could have ran him back. He chose not to. It is what it is. Raptors uh, end up losing in seven, just like Kawhi did in the second round. So, you know, that's something to reflect on. But there is actually a couple of things I want to get to in terms of news items for this week because um, surprisingly busy news week. So just in the first three days of this week alone, you have, first off, Nick Nurse receiving a contract extension to, um, you know, further his coaching career with the Raptors. He had one more year left on his deal. Uh, After the three-year deal, he signed following Dwayne Casey's uh, exit. And yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on Nick Nurse getting this extension?
1: I mean, did we have any other option?
2: No, of course not.
1: I mean, so 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 there you go. I mean, the the worst thing you can do is have a coach or any player with the threat of job security looming over their head, mm. because if you have that, then that takes away from your day to day performance. It's like it's no different than an employee in a, in a company that you might work for. Like if they don't know they're gonna be here in a couple of months, well, you know, their state of mind isn't going to be right. So giving a, uh, an extension and peace of mind and some stability to a person. And it's not just about the money or the, the length of the deal. It's also like he has a family and you want to make mm-hmm. sure like your kids are going to the same schools over the next three years. So once you factor that in, and if you look at how much a coach makes relative to everything else, it's you, you have to do it because you're also developing a good relationship with, with, with the guy. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's doing work for Canada basketball. Yep. So, so he, he definitely has invested long-term in the country. And, and the, I'd say the worst thing you can do is kind of be like, uh, have a half measure on your side. I think you got to go all in on this one. And frankly, it doesn't even cost that much, right? So mm-hmm. the, it's not like it counts against a cap or anything like that. So it's, it's, this is a,
2: a no-brainer to me. Yeah. Um, and on top of all that, he just, he deserved it. You know, he, I mean, the craziest step that I saw was that he already has more playoff wins than any other Raptor coach. Like yeah. Dwayne Casey was leading this team to the to the playoffs.
1: I mean, you Dwayne know. Casey was leading this team to the first round uh, of the playoffs. That's where he was leading them over and over again. It's hard. It's hard to rack up a lot of wins if you just go to the first yeah. round. Um, it also shows how little success he had in that first round.
2: Yeah, um, that Wizards series is still the darkest I've ever been as a Raptor fan. Um, Th- that, that was
1: man. That, game that
2: was. after game three, I had to take a, a bus, a Greyhound bus, no, a go a go bus. Normally, I would. Uh, I was traveling from Hamilton to Toronto for work that year because I was still in school, and normally I would catch the last like bus that goes direct from Hamilton to Toronto. That's like forty minutes, but that game ended really late and I had to work late. So I, then I had to take the the bus that stops at every single stop in between. So it took like two hours. Yeah. That was one of the worst nights I've ever had as a Raptor fan. Just after uh, Game Three, I,
1: I, I remember after Game Three, uh, the, the three nothing. Uh, we were down three nothing in that series, and I think mm. Blake, who used to write for RR at the time. Uh, he, I think he had a bit on CTV News. Right? Oh no! Yeah, like to analyze like Game Four, right? And I remember him and I talking at the time. like, "Hey man, what are you gonna talk about on this TV? What are you gonna like give them hope?" He's like, "The fuck? What am I gonna, what am I gonna say here, right?" And I remember that 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 clip of Blake trying to add a level of positivity on CTV News, but just you could you could see the the you know the pain inside him just reflect huh. on the TV, even though. You know, like he was trying to be positive there. So that—that's my memory of that series. And of course, uh, uh, you know, Bradley Beal running circles around Demar Derozan. Jesus. Yeah. Jesus. No, I mean
2: the best was and, one. And,
1: and that's what—and that's what this series looked like a little bit, man. After game two. Yeah, I know. Just replaced Brad but, Beal and John Wall with uh, with Tatum and Brown.
2: That's the mental toughness, though. That's the difference. That's the maturity in Kyle. I mean, I think Kyle's also just improved as a player, straight up. But that's just, just the, the difference. And I think also this is why you build teams that play. You know better on defense like this is why you prioritize defense because defense will always keep you in the series like the raptors were absolute garbage in game seven like the the 18 turnovers for like 30 something points for the celtics that's why the celtics won it's not because you know the celtics were like dominant offensive or anything like that but even still the celtics didn't have a single made basket for the last five minutes of game seven and the raptors had you know a couple inches for Norman powell gets the ball on the backboard that's a tie game so yeah, it, it, yeah
1: this is an entire series decided by a possession right mm-hmm. the seven games ultimately were decided by a possession mm-hmm. and you can point to so many things that could have gone you know the raptors way in uh, in game 2 game 2 is the one that really hurts to be honest with you man that yeah. that's the one that really Smart. stings yeah, yeah. Uh, you know you know there's a celtics um uh, friend of mine and uh, he goes to me yeah it took you like a you know a, a last second buzzer beater uh, to like to to stay in the series. And I'm like, dude, those things happen in basketball. How often has Marcus Smart hit five straight threes within a span of four minutes? Yeah. Never. Like, yeah. so, I mean, it's a, uh, but, but game two hurts because there was no reason to put out that lineup at the start of the fourth at the time. Mm. Uh, it, 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 this is not hindsight talking even at the time it looked like a really, really dumb decision to come out with that lineup and we paid the price. So, so if the game seven doesn't really bug me too much. Like Norm miss layup or block layup. It's game two that, that
2: really stinks. Um, on, while we're on the subject of nurse, what do you, what do you think about nurse's performance coaching wise against Stevens? Cause obviously Stevens, I, I really respect him. I think he's one of the best tacticians in the NBA. How do you think nurse fared uh, compared to one of the best?
1: Well, uh, I'll say over a seven game series, uh, you know, you will have probably exhausted all your strategies and shown pretty much every single card to the other coach. And, and, mm-hmm. and it goes both ways, right? Yep. And I found that, and, and I made a little video about this one too, and I highlighted some plays specifically with Jason Tatum as the uh, ball handler, where by game six or seven, they knew exactly how to beat our zone. Mm-hmm. So the box, so the box, so overdoing the box and one in game seven. And in game six, I thought was a, was, did not work out for nurse because Tatum, basically what they did was they wanted the Van Vliet on Tatum matchup mm-hmm. because Tatum is taller than Van Vliet. As soon as they have that, Tatum is also quicker than him. So at this point, you have a guy who's quicker than you, uh, sorry, it, t- Tatum is quicker than Van Vliet. He, he's got the ball in his hands. He can shoot over him. He can drive. And most importantly, he can pass over him. Right? He can pass very easily over a 6-1, whatever Fred is. Yeah. And that, that ability of Jason Tatum to pass over Fred Van Gleet, I thought was a killer. And that's what they used to kill any sort of zone, like triangle and two, box and one, whatever it is, a zone defense at the end of the day, right? And, and, I, and I thought Nurse did not have a response to that. At the same time, what are you going to do at that point? Because the Celtics have shown they can beat you man, they can beat you zone. Uh, and and it's, it's almost like we were running out of options. And going back to my earlier point, in a series decided by a by a possession, you know, I, I you know, what, what, are you, what are you going to say about Nurse? I, I think he did okay. Uh, besides the substitution, some of some of his subs were pretty questionable. I thought he should have played Matt Thomas more.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: that that was a mistake because every he, time he had Thomas a good
2: was, shift in Game Seven, I don't know why he didn't play the second half.
1: He he, he didn't play beyond the first quarter. I think right. He he, he came Something into like the, that, yeah. in the first quarter he came in, and then in that first quarter, if you notice, the Celtics always have to stick a man on Matt Thomas. They respect his outside shooting. They they, yeah. they know he's a specialist. They stick to him. And what that does is it takes away one guy who can cheat off. Mm-hmm. Right? So you have one guy who's stuck to Matt Thomas and he there's one less guy trying to s- slap the ball from Kyle Lowry. There's one less guy trying to trap Fred VanVleet. So I thought I- I'm surprised he didn't see that success from Thomas. Like like the impact of Thomas in the game, not necessarily from a scoring perspective, but how the how it changed the how it shaped the Celtics defense. I thought he should have extended that and uh I'm surprised he never did because he's a guy who tries to who, who likes to try different things. And that experiment yeah. worked, but he still didn't go back to it.
2: Well, I mean, I think, you know, one thing you saw in the series is, you know, he did try different things defensively and stuff like that, which I think at this point you kind of expect from Nurse now. That's his, like, signature move, right? Um, but he does try different things with kind of the same guys. He does mm-hmm. pretty much only trust the core seven. And honestly, at times, he didn't really trust Norm either. Um Maybe a little bit too much trust in Mark and a little bit too little trust in Serge. Um, and then really, I mean, just the rest of the bench, he just didn't trust them at all. Which, I mean, honestly, I can't blame them that much for it. I think the Celtics are just executing on a high level. You can't afford mistakes. You know, when Terrence Davis comes into the game and you give him a chance and he fouls, t- like, Jason Tatum three times in three minutes, you, you can't – just, it's just tough as a coach to be like, okay, I'll, I'll try him again another game, especially when these games are that close. So – Um,
1: you brought up Ibaka which is a really good point because if there is one player the Celtics were just unable to stop the entire mm -hmm. seven games who essentially got a score whenever he wanted in the paint it was Ibaka because he was simply much stronger than Tice he was bigger than anybody they had he was more fluid he was more just robust in the paint and And he shot the three really well which is bonus. I'm not yeah. even talking about his three. I'm talking mm-hmm. about his inside game here, mm-hmm. which the Celtics did not have an answer to. And I thought Nurse could have, could have sent a few possessions that way instead of going to guys like Siakam over and over again, even after they had uh, uh, shown that they were struggling. And I also felt that the way he tried to get Siakam off the mark wasn't great. Uh, mm-hmm. I think putting Siakam in one-on-one situations against great defenders is not, is not a strategy to get him going Especially when his when when his one on one game isn't really that coordinated and is fairly predictable at this point in his career, so I thought he he, he messed up on those those couple of fronts.
2: Yeah, but I mean, look, listen. It, obviously, you know, I, I think on, based on just the guys that did end up showing up, right? When you look at it with, with Pascal, we'll talk about Pascal plenty, um, but you know, with when your best guy struggles like that, um, to even have a position to have a chance to win that game seven, a pretty good chance to win that game seven is it's still a pretty good coaching job. So I, I think, you know, I'm. congrats to nurse on the extension well-deserved um, curious to see what the terms are on that in terms of years and amount. I feel like, um, you know, Dwayne Casey got what a five-year $35 million deal I feel like if you're a nurse and you're his agent, you might come in and be like, look, you just replaced me with this guy. You better give me that at least, you know, but we'll see who knows. I mean, but I'm happy for I, Nurse. Man. I,
1: I rarely count how much money a coach makes because it has no impact Nothing. on the flexibility yeah. of the team, especially when you're as rich as uh, MLSE is.
2: Yeah. Um, other news this week: Terrence Davis named um, All Rookie Second Team. Um, on a scale of one to ten, how much do you care about the All Rookie Second Team? Uh,
1: probably one. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. All right. Here, here's a fun fact. All right, he is the first Raptors rookie. Since Jonas Valanciunas in 2013 to end up on the all-rookie team, which is interesting because Raptors have developed a fair number of guys recently. You know, OG, Pascal, Fred, even to go with DeLon Wright, Jakob Prodo, these are solid guys, even going back earlier, you know. But, uh, yeah, Terrence Davis. um, Uh, What what uh, do you you think of Terrence?
1: I I like him. I I think he loses – Confidence a little bit too quickly sometimes. And yeah. he, uh, I
2: mean, to be fair, Nurse loses confidence in him. Yeah. Even quicker and, than he does. But
1: there you go. I think maybe some of that is, is is shown on the court. Uh, I think he probably is, I think he's very good at attacking gaps in the defense. I think his hmm. first step is very good. Uh, even against the Celtics in the brief stint he came on, he had a couple of good moves, didn't get enough playing time just because, uh, actually i i, I don 't know I, I guess the reason he didn 't play is because it was either him or uh, like who who like van Vleet or like some other wing i mean so he was definitely lower in the pecking order there but but i mean he 's fine man i i, I don 't expect him to be a regular like you know rotation player uh, I, I think he 's a seventh eighth guy eighth guy maybe i 'll say um, in in the regular season and next year in the playoffs, if he develops his three point shooting even better. And gets a little more consistency. He might make it higher than that, but you know, it's a, it's man. What, what, what Terrence Davis? What about... I, I? don't care about Terrence Davis. Man. Wow. Um,
2: congratulations on his all rookie. I mean, up. congrats to Terrence. You know, yeah. I, I thought he was he was great in certain moments, and then he would disappear a lot. You know, and which is to be expected. Yeah, a, so he's a, a guy. Yeah. He's a rookie. I mean, he's world. also kind of found money too for an undrafted guy to come in and be productive is, is not bad. I like his I like his tools. You know, he's he's got good size i think what do you, what do you think the future position is for him based on his profile now because i think initially he was billed as more of a point guard but i didn't see that much point guard ability i saw more shooting guard ability
1: yeah he he's definitely well i'll say he's, he, there, he's there's ball no, player there, there's no playmaking ability there right now mm-hmm. uh, I, I i think uh, it also depends on what the franchise kind of wants to do with him right because the raptors are pretty good at kind of Finding guys and then putting them where they need them, not necessarily where they might naturally "quote unquote" fit. Mm. So if if they see him as a uh, as a kind of like a Fred replacement, like if Fred does tend to leave, then obviously he plays more in the off guard position. What he has sh- he hasn't necessarily shown any uh, playmaking ability yet. But then again, he's a rookie, and I, I don't know. I don't. Remember. I think a, a rookie year is more about the team understanding exactly what you have. Mm. I'd be really surprised for the Raptors to at this point think. We see him as a X. Mm. They're probably still kind of evaluating his game and see what attributes he possesses, so that they're so that they're they're able to make a judgment on where he fits. I think it's a it's, it's a bit too early for him.
2: Yeah, that's fair. I, I think yeah, you don't want to limit him too early. Um, uh, one thing I did like about Terrence is he made seventy two appearances, which it's it's like a weird thing to talk about, but the fact that a rookie was able to stay healthy and uh, just you know, stay in shape for a whole season. That's I think that's a struggle for a lot of rookies. Obviously, a very weird circumstance this year with COVID shutting down the season. Um, And, you know, with Terrence, I feel like if you were really to peg him going forward as someone who could maybe replace someone existing in the roster, I think the most obvious guy you might replace him with was with Norm. Because I think, like, his skill set with Norm's are more similar than him and Fred right now, at least to Mm -hmm. me. Yeah, that's um, a good point. Yeah. And he and he's got to play a little bit better on defense. He's just, I mean, a lot better on defense, to be honest. But I mean, he's a rookie. He's got to figure that part out. You know. Um, but congrats to Terrence. I'm happy the voters recognized them. Feels like a little bit of a weaker rookie class. What do you think? Didn't really see oh, like, for
1: sure. There's not that much there. But but I think he'd be. I think he'd be happy about the second team. I think he was really disappointed on not making the all-star game, whatever they have. I think that, I think he was genuinely pissed off about that. And I think he had a right to be, because at the time he was playing really well. And for some reason, I think he just got snubbed. Mm -hmm. It's just one of those things of like coaches or whoever votes for that stuff, not just not seeing him enough because at that time he for sure deserved that, uh, that, that place on all-star weekend.
2: Yeah. Well, this is, this is similar to the, uh, you know, the hall of fame voting sometimes where, you know, if, if, for example, if Kyle Lowry was Croatian, I was talking to someone about this yesterday, if Kyle Lowry was Croatian, there's no doubt he's a Hall of Famer. Um, Kyle Lowry's
1: but, a Hall of Famer, man.
2: He's already a Hall of Famer already. Yeah. But, you know, if, 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 you know, there would be absolutely zero doubt if he was Croatian or just basically not American. Um, and it's kind of the same deal with the rookie, um, the rookie game because it's, instead of rookies and sophomores, it's just world versus uh, USA. What's so. up with you and Croatians? No, no, nothing against Croatians, man. Lovely country. You know, I don't want any beef with any uh, Balkan country ever. So I've learned that lesson already. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, it's just, it's just my – that's my point. It's, he's, he's American. It's a little harder to get into that game. Uh, and then the last news item uh, happened earlier today on Wednesday afternoon. Pascal Siakam made the All-NBA team, and not just the All-NBA team, the second team, uh, which is a little bit surprising. I thought he'd make the All-NBA team. I thought he deserved to. I would have personally had him third team. But uh, he makes a second team, to be honest, very close between him, Butler, and Tatum. We're just talking about a matter of like three or four votes separating the three of them. So very easily, um, Pascal could have made the third team instead. Uh, but second team All-NBA for Pascal, this means the Raptors now have to pay him slightly more. There's a clause in his contract that sees him getting paid an additional 2% uh, above what he was already originally going to get in his max contract. It's, you know, fairly marginal, although it is still a lot of money in the long run. Um, first off, congrats to Pascal. I think, you know, he, I mean, up until where this vote was decided, which this vote was for all the games that happened before the shutdown. So none of the eight seeding games, none of the playoffs. And up until that point, Pascal was playing like an All NBA player. So I'm happy for Pascal. Um, Yeah. Well maybe we can use this as a jumping off point to talk about Pascal and sort of what he's done cuz obviously the guy that showed up after the, the you know the covid shutdown was not an all NBA player but you know yeah what do, what do you think about this
1: I mean uh, so I don't know the logistical reasons why he wasn't able to pick up a basketball in four months, something about a visa and and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I I just thought that if you're, you know, a wealthy NBA player playing for a wealthy NBA franchise, you're going to find a gym and get some shots up. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm being simplistic about that. So I I never understood that. Uh, And maybe you can tell me why that that wasn't the case, because I haven't done my research on this. I I
2: mean, I don't really know either. I've, I've tried to look into it. I mean, you know, he lives in a condo. Uh, and I think maybe COVID restrictions were stricter here in Canada. Like, for example, even Matt Thomas, when he was in Toronto for the start of, like, the first two months of COVID, he didn't shoot at all, and it was weird for him. And then he ended up driving to Wisconsin where his family lives, and when he got there, he started training. So I, I don't know if that's the situation. It's not like, you know, like, for example, you know, Kyle has a house, you know, in Philly, and, you know, there's like two courts in his backyard and stuff like that. You know, it's not like that. He lives in a condo. And it's weird to me because he is a pretty hardworking guy. The one thing you can't really knock Pascal for is his work ethic. This guy is really hardworking. So you would have thought that it's not like he would have just said, oh, wow. All yeah. right. No basketball. Fine. I'm not shooting the basketball. This is not like Shaq saying, I'm going to recover on work time. Got hurt on work time. I'm going to recover on work time. You know, no, I, so I was more I, going with this. I don't understand, to be honest, why he didn't. I
1: was more going with this on the like, what did, what did the franchise do to get him ready? right i mean maybe could they have done something different so so yeah. that you, you don't enter the critical part of the season with your best player cold or or maybe they they didn't think it was going to be a big deal um what do i think i mean i think i man it, it's really diff- it so it's very fair to compare him to previous uh raptors who mm. suffered in the playoffs so people who are upset about him underperforming they're probably upset because they've seen this in the past yeah and uh and so i i totally get that perspective and and honestly even like i did the quick reaction for um uh for, for game seven and uh mm. like in that like he's the first one that comes up in the tool <laughs> See, yeah, like my first reaction was like another garbage game like pure trash <laughs> right not good <laughs> And it was, it was not a good game. But in that, in that game, you're evaluating his on-court performance there. You're not evaluating the human being, Pascal Siakam. You're evaluating how he played in that game. And, and he struggled. And, and that recap probably was true for all the games there. A, a, a lot has to do with him not playing basketball for four months. Uh, I think that has a lot to do with it, to be honest with you. I, I can't imagine. Uh, but he still, he still had some time to recover, so maybe, maybe I'm wrong there. But he also went up against all NBA-type defenders, who mm. were not conceding anything. Mm. And they did not give him an inch on his drives. Not an inch. I, I don't think he ever got into a position where he blew by his man. Like he he was never able to just no. get past his man, whether it be off the dribble or on a spin move, was never able to do that. And I think I, I look at this as, I, I hope what he gets out of it is, that, man, I got a long ways to go Mm -hmm. before I can even repeat what I did last year. Because if there's one thing we know, and we have seen this time and time again with Bosch, DeRozan, Vince, every player, the NBA will catch up to your strengths Mm -hmm. and you will have to diversify. And his spin move is priced into the market. And what I mean by that is you can have an advantage – for a for a short, it's like an economics thing. I, I think you took economics. we you took yeah. economics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah, it's like if if a firm has an advantage, it mm. will live in the short run until the market stabilizes and supply meets demand and price equalizes. Right. So the price on his uh, on his uh, on his on his offensive game really is now the correct price. Like, it's people know what to expect, and they know how to react to what he does things. Now it's up to him to take his game to the next level. So the question really isn't, do I believe in Pascal Siakam? The question is, do I believe in Pascal Siakam's ability or desire to dedicate himself to improve? Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. And I believe it more than I did for DeRozan or even Chris Bosh and definitely for Vince Carter. Right, so I think if you compare his his uh, his desire to improve relative to his peers, his Raptors peers, I'd say it's higher, and that's the reason that I have more faith in him than I ha- than I have had with with everybody else. And, and this has been a shock to his system as well, because like look look at his NBA journey. He comes in, you know, amazing as a rookie, gets Kawhi, dominates offensively, doesn't see a double team ever, right? and everything's going good, 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 good. And suddenly this happens to you. Like Mm. it it, it is a shock to your system. Like you're like, what the hell happened? Like I thought I was amazing. And now this happened to me. So, and and I think he has that, that ability to reflect on and and reflect deeply and go, what what do I need to do better? And I think, and I, and I think he, he will do that. So uh, I I know I've been a little harsh on some of the quick reaction, but uh, you know, but that's just, that that's just
2: all right I mean th- I mean that is I mean it, it is also just a reflection of sort of how it played like viscerally emotionally watching some of this stuff is just it was a little jarring it was a little shocking to see him come up short in some of these opportunities because the Celtics kind of moved away from start of the series I thought they double teamed showed extra bodies you know help on the rim it's pretty standard stuff and by the end it was single coverage and and, and, and that really just shows you what he was doing because there was no need to commit yeah. a second defender. Yeah. There was no need to cheat off Fred to maybe swipe into the post and maybe he kicks it out to Fred for a three. None of that, all that stuff went away. The thing with, you know, Pascal, that, I, you know, you brought up the sort of DeMar comparisons, you know, the, the the Bosch comparisons. You know, obviously DeMar was also a really hardworking guy, famously, but I felt like DeMar sort of had a bit of a stubbornness and sort of um, bad habits sort of uh, developed earlier on. He had a very clear idea of what he wanted to do what kind of role he wanted, and then he got better within that role. He got better at mid-range shooting. He got better at handling the ball so he can get to more mid-range shots. He got better at getting to the basket. But he was also kind of inflexible in the sense that he only wanted to do that that idea. He was hardworking, but he hard worked hard towards that one goal. Whereas with Pascal, he's because he did start basketball later on, it does still feel like he's a, just opened to different opportunities as a player. We've seen him, the way he played this year, very different from the way he played last year, and which was very different from the way he played the year before that. And then B, I don't really see bad habits in Pascal that he's unwilling to give up. I do see bad habits in the sense that sometimes he forces drives that aren't there. You know, he'll he'll leave the ball exposed, he'll get a strip, stuff like that. There are bad habits to clean up by, by, for sure, but I don't see tunnel vision. I don't see an unwillingness to play defense. I don't see a rigidity in terms of how he wants to play uh and only want to play one style. And yeah, I, I just think that right now his skill set is not refined enough, right? I mean, all the stuff that he struggled with was skill stuff, like dribbling at the defense, shooting the ball. These are, you know, things that are to do with skill set. And whether that's because he didn't play for a long time or anything like that, or because he's early in his development or whatever, but I think it's just he needs to refine the the, the handle. He needs to refine the jumper. And yeah, and I think also just get more reps as a number 1 guy cuz I felt like as the year went on this year he sort of played more of a number he started as a number 1 option and then regressed back to a number 2 option as the year went on. And I would like to see him even if he fails a little bit get more reps in the regular season, you know, develop as a ball handler, develop as a pick and roll operator cuz you know, that's that that's the only way to move forward is you got to face a challenge head on. So
1: Yeah, DeMar needed a Tiger Woods type change. Like a t- t- Tiger Woods, famously, uh, when he was even at the top of his game, but he realized some slippage, he completely reinvented his swing. Mm. Like in, in the middle of his career, while being a very good golfer, he went and he said, You know what? If, if I want to reach greatness, I need to change some of these fundamental things about my swing. Mm-hmm. And he did it. And he struggled for like a year, year and a half, but he, he came back and he won like a bunch of majors. But that required him to do. He had to almost take.
2: That's a humility yeah, in that.
1: Yeah, there's like a he took he took like three steps back to go six steps forward. Or mm. I, I could have used one step back to go two steps forward because the ratio is the same. But uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right? Yeah. All
2: right. uh,
1: and and I, and I think Demar because as you said, like he had some structural elements in his game which he needed to change. Like he mm. needed to change his the way he shoots. Like the the way he goes up for his shot needed yeah. to be changed, right? So I, I don't I don't think he was willing to do that, whether it's stubbornness or whether he realized, man, the effort here is just too great or, or whatever the hell it was, he never did it. Mm. With Pascal, I think he's more of a sponge than DeRozan yeah. was. And yes. I think you can coach him into doing things that, because he doesn't know any better. Because he, he as you said, he's a, like he, he, he doesn't have a long history of basketball and how he played. So maybe that. Uh, and, and one thing about Pascal is that say, yeah, he, he struggled. The only concern I had, and this is not... This is just something I observe: is that, yeah, you miss your layups, you leave your sh- shots short, you turn the ball over because your handles a little, uh, yeah, a little shit. That's fine. Ex- except that there were like at least three or four instances where he took a jumper, very selfishly. Mm.
2: The, the, the,
1: the, there's there's a couple of instances in, in game six. There's a couple in game seven. The one that sticks to my mind is like the Raptors have had a brutal possession. OG gets the rebound and he passes it to Siakam on the left uh, elbow, a, a little uh, left wing, let's say. And he immediately launches a long two, right? And, and I'm like, and my immediate reaction at the time was, man, like I can forgive like you not being in rhythm and whatever, all that, but I cannot forgive that kind of decision-making. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that's just immaturity or whatever it is, but th- that's an aspect of his game that I would never want to see again. It is take long twos and bail an already advantageous defense out even more.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a difference between um, being aggressive with your shot and then taking the exact shot the defense wants you to take. And the Celtics were for the most part willing to give him that. And I, I oh, get it. Uh, I get it from his perspective too, because I think he. I mean, he what he shot four of thirty-two from three-point range, so. Well, wow. honestly, forget the extra point. Just step inside, shoot the memory jumper. But, like, you know, I, I do agree. His decision making there has been better. And we even saw that throughout the course of the year. Even when he was hot early in the season, he would still take shots that are still a little bit outside of the rhythm of what the offense could be getting in that possession. And I think that comes with experience of just knowing what you can get in the possession. You know, I, I look at Jimmy Butler, for example, as a guy who is very skilled, but also not necessarily a great shooter. But, I, when he does pick the times to shoot, I don't really think it's a bad shot. I think it's an aggressive shot. And for Pascal, I think he's just finding that balance. Um, and,
1: and, and I can forgive that shot in the regular season because, frankly, that's what the regular season's for. Yeah, like, it's yeah. there to prepare for the playoffs. By the way, I hope I hope they shorten the regular season in general going forward mm. uh, because it's just too long of a practice session. Uh, so I, I can forgive it in, in, in the regular season. It's just that in those instances, I was just like, oh, man, that's, that really hurts. And again, in a series decided by a possession man, like those things count.
2: Yeah. Um, but congrats, Pascal, on the All-NBA team. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry, job, we ripped, sorry we ripped you apart, man. You are we a,
1: ripping a, him? Uh, no, no, see, uh, no, no.
2: No, not all. And that's the thing. Pascal wouldn't even think of it as ripping because he's a guy who's very receptive to these things. You know what I mean? Maybe not from us because who, who the fuck are we? But, like, you know, like I'm sure when the coaches go over this stuff with them, you know he's a guy who's willing to be coached, and I think he will take this opportunity to improve.
1: Yeah, and all all these people like coming to like Pascal's, quote defense. Like, buddy, he doesn't need your defense. Like, you don't need to be all outraged and offended and and, and all these things that uh, that people are criticizing Pascal Siakam's game. Like, mm-hmm. It's it's he, he's fine, man. He's
2: fine. Well, people got mad at uh at uh, Sirat Sohi, uh, friend of the podcast, uh, Yahoo Sports reporter for asking Pascal a follow-up question where Pascal had said earlier in the interview, you know, I feel responsible that I let my team down. And then Sirit asked, how do you, how does it feel to let your team down? And people were getting on her for it, which
1: that's a great question.
2: You could phrase the question, question. differently. which to little, be more, a little softer and more approachable, but within the conversation, that's totally reasonable to ask.
1: Have and, you ever and, seen like older interviews with baseball managers and hockey coaches or even NBA guys, like, like it's it's a direct line of questioning, mm. right? And I think there's something entertaining, truthful, and and honest about you know interviewing a coach or a player in a, in a perfectly blunt way after the game. Mm. I don't think I don't think it's a slight on anybody. Uh, you know, uh, like right now we're like you know if you're following the news, like you know Bob Woodward had the whole book come out about Trump and all that, and uh, and, and you know he's doing a lot of interviews and. And Republicans are doing a lot of interviews, and a lot of the questioning is very blunt. Mm-hmm. Forget about the fact that they evade the question and all that. But I find that the questioning around—I'm just giving an American politics example—is very blunt. It's like, "Hey, you did X." Like you don't skirt around the issue; you go directly to the point. And I think it makes for good debate and back and forth. It also, makes for good TV. And mm-hmm. frankly, these professionals, these—they're well tuned enough to know how to respond, and they don't need your outrage on a social media platform. Like it's, you're, you're, wasting your breath. Mm. Yeah. You're wasting your typing, whatever.
2: Um. Yeah. Well, people, people love the engagement. Um, okay. So OG Anobi. let's, let's move on. OG. So OG, I, I would say on the whole, he was more of a positive development from the Celtics series. You know, didn't necessarily significantly outperform his role, but did his role really well, which in a series where the Celtics are really tough defensively, a lot of guys struggled in their role. So for OG to be good in his role and fulfill it is, is a positive development. You just made a video about OG Anobi's development, which I'll link um, to in in the information section of this podcast. Um, You know, what did you see from OG's series against the Celtics? There's, it feels like there's things that he did well, but also things that he can clearly improve, especially on the offensive end.
1: Yeah. I I saw a lot of OG because he, he his, his play intrigued me a lot uh, Mm -hmm. because if you know and you, you you should check the video by the way man it's a 15 minute video so uh, Bro, listen. I, I know I, I know people don't like in depth analysis and they want a quick hit of dopamine and move on mm. but trust me invest the 15 minutes and you'll get to know og a lot better than you currently do uh, so I, i'd say you said it perfectly like if his role is 3 and d
0: mm-hmm.
1: he did that to a t yeah i don't think you can have, like if you had to grade him that's an a plus it it really is. So, mm-hmm. so I think you said it perfectly that of all the players that were supposed to do their role, he did his role the best. That's that's a really succinct way of uh, of summarize summarizing his uh, playoffs. Uh, what, what the question really is uh, what what is our expectation of OG in the long term? If our expectation of OG is a three and D guy, then man, job done. He'll continue to get better at that, and there's nothing to worry about. Sign him to a freaking fifteen year contract as a three and D player, whatever. Mm. If you expect him to go and become like an all-star type player, uh, an all-star caliber player, he certainly has a lot of uh, a, a lot of work to do. He he has a good mid-range jumper, mm-hmm. but he doesn't use it enough. He doesn't know how to set that jumper up enough. Mm-hmm. So whenever he go gets into positions of trouble or the defense crowds mm-hmm. him, he doesn't know how to create enough space so he can use that jumper that he already knows. So I I think something similar to a a step back or a pull-up jumper is something that he definitely needs. Uh, much like Siakam, his spin move is also very predictable. It's not as predictable as Siakam's.
2: Well, no one expects it right now because he's only spun yeah. like eight times in his career. But people are going to pick up on that eventually if he keeps very doing. quickly. Yeah. very,
1: and just like they did with Siakam, by next mid-season next year, if not our start of the season, people will pick up on the fact that when he drives, he will spin just one way. So he needs to do that, and th- that's where he needs to diversify. And for some weird reason, his finishing is kind of poor
2: his awareness is a little bad like yes. you point out in the video he'll sometimes he'll take three dribbles when you only had room for one and then yeah. all of a sudden you're crowded by two guys he goes up a lot in traffic which is fine because he is strong and he's athletic but a lot of that is if you have better awareness to be able to re- read the situation better you can finish better it's not like Kyle Lowry he is a better finisher than Pascal, but he has way better awareness around the room than Pascal does. It's almost like, you know, sometimes when
1: like somebody's like staring, staring at you from the back, you can feel it. Mm, Even though yeah. there's no physical contact, you can still like for whatever, whatever energy is there, you can feel it. Yeah, yeah. The great players always have that. Like they know where the defense is and they know how much room they have to operate. Because as you said, everybody knows how to finish. Everybody knows how to make a layup. Right? Mm-hmm. It's a question of given enough space, you'll make the layup. The question all often becomes, do you know how much space you have? And I find OG doesn't know that.
0: Mm-hmm. So, he,
1: so he makes moves that, 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 that take him towards the defense rather mm-hmm. than away from it. Or sometimes he's a, he, he over fakes or he over dribbles. So he's definitely got to clean that up. And, and the question that I ask myself is that, is that instinct or is that, is that something that just comes with experience? And it's probably a bit of both. Yeah. Um, so, so that's something he's got to clean up. He's also not a great passer. He's a, a, a very weak passer. It, certainly, he can't, like, even it, when, when I looked at his Boston series, and again, that's against a very good defense, there were instances where he drove and in the middle of the, of the drive realized that, oh my God, I don't have a path to the rim. Maybe I should pass. And his pickouts were very poor. Like, like he didn't know how much weight to put on the ball. He didn't know who to look for. But then again, that goes back to that I is that
2: works th- That's more experience, I think. Because if I think if, so, if yeah. you if you've never run a pick and roll in your life, and all of a sudden a third defender rotates to you in the middle of the floor, yeah. and you got to make that read, you got to you got to know where your guys are and, and have experience. And that's something I know he's working on. Because if you, if you watch like practice and stuff like that, like he he will. There are drills that they end up doing. You pick and roll drills and stuff like that. Who are specifically designed to make the read to wherever the cross court pass is. Mm-hmm. And that I think is there. But I I, I also do agree with you, though. Like, it, it's not like OG's making that much play happen for other people. Like, I think his best pass is probably dropping inside in a little shovel pass to the whoever's in the dunker spot, like Serge or Pascal yeah. or Mark or whoever. Aside from that, though, yeah, he's not really going to be a big playmaker, which. I don't know. He's not really an unwilling... He's not unwilling to to pass either. It's just... Well, his role isn't to create right now. That's true. He never has the ball even. That's the thing.
1: Exactly. So so, so part of the thing is for next year might be how much do you want to, uh, you know, give creation responsibility to OG or how much do you tell him, hey, OG, you know, like, you know, part of just... Instead of just shooting it every time or just looking for the swing pass, maybe drive and look for this guy. Like, how many plays do you have structured into your offense where it's a passing play for OG. And yeah. I'm not, obviously, it's not going to be a large, large share of it, but how much of that is factored into Nick Nurse's offense next year? Because that will speak to how much improvement he makes next year. Uh, because right now, I think whatever assignment, like if, if you treat, treat him as a student, whatever assignment we have given him, he's gotten A pluses on. Yeah, it, It's his stretch assignments that he's falling a little short on. Uh, and, 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 but I think he, I just love his demeanor, man.
2: Too, I think he's a really yeah.
1: serious, serious guy, and I think you need that uh, to be to
2: be a great player. Um, yeah, and I think you know, yes, he's already pretty great in his role in terms of what he currently is doing. But you got to give him a little bit more, just development wise. Not even necessarily to improve your team, but you need to know what you can, what you have with him, right? Because you have a potential contract extension coming up. We'll see if OG signs it or not, or what the Raptors approach that with there's a whole cap strategy of whether you want to sign the guy early or wait and then keep your salary number low, whatever. Right. Who, who knows? But um, you know, but before you do sign up to any sort of contract though, you should have a better sense of what he can do and what he can, where he can develop. And I actually do think after this season, you know, there should be more of a role for OG offensively. Maybe if he really struggles at it, you pull back, but you know, I'd like to see something, you know, I'd like to see him running one or two pick and rolls a game. Just to get the reps, just to get a feel, put the ball on the floor a little bit more because he can do it. And when he does catch people with the spin move, it looks great. Mm. It's rare when OG looks graceful on on offense, but mm. when he does look graceful, he does look pretty great because he is six foot eight. He is strong as hell. Yeah, and uh, and his and his jumpers really. I trust the jumper now. That's the thing. The biggest thing coming in as a rookie was a he needs to be healthy off the ACL, but b he needs to hit the jumper consistently. And he's I I, tr- I trust him. What'd you say? Yeah. He was like forty-one percent on catch and shoot threes now. Like, yeah, damn good, yeah. rate, You know,
1: and that, uh, on threes in general. So he's, uh, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not worried about OG in the slightest man. I, mm. I think he will improve next year as well, and there's there's nothing to worry about there. Like, if you you talked about his contract, I mean, I, I would even if you have to pay ten percent more to get him to an extra deal, so to mm. an extra couple of years, I would do it because I think his next contract will be one of those contracts where you're like, man, I wish we should have offered him more because he looks like a steal at this point. Kind of like what we do with norm and Fred. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. he's in that realm of player where you may want to gamble on, on that side with him.
2: Yeah. And the Raptors have been pretty damn good at signing the, uh, the rookie extension players. The only miss they've ever had is uh, in recent years is the, the Barnani deal, which some people yeah. I remember arguing was a, was a steal for Brian Colangelo, but it was not. It was, well, if, I it mean, got us Kawhi inadvertently. There you go. So, you know, there you go. something good came out of it. Yeah. Um, okay. Two more questions on the roster before we go. Uh, first, what do you do at the center position? So, there's a report out there Mark might go back to Spain. Uh, he's 35 years old, looked pretty washed up offensively in that series, if not entirely washed up. Uh, he had to shave his entire head to hit 1 3, which is never a good sign. Um, and then Sergeant Baca is kind of unclear. He was asked about it in the postgame. Obviously didn't give an answer, but, you know, he's had a nice year. I could see other teams, maybe like the Nets or the Rockets, you know, with his OKC connections, you know, with KD or with James Harden, maybe that's the destination for those, those teams to consider. But uh, what, are you, what are you doing if you're Masai Jerry at the center position?
1: Well, uh, certainly Gasol can't be brought back in a starting capacity. Uh, I, I think if he has any value, it's more as a vet on the bench uh, and maybe a, a backup center of sorts. I think he definitely okay. has value there because he is physically fit, right? It's not like
2: he's 35, but it's not like he's... Well, uh, that that's the thing that bothers me. Oh, that's the thing that not bothers me. Well, that's I, the thing guess, that worries he's, me. Yeah. Because he, he did... Not, he, 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 yeah, yeah, he did right. shape down and it was like, you, yeah. you might say to yourself, okay, you know what? He, he was overweight. Maybe he comes in, you know, he's slim. He might have a greater, greater year. Like that illusion has been shattered. He just did that and it did not impact anything. So. So uh,
1: obviously I don't know much about what happens in the locker room. So I don't know what his veteran presence is in the locker and how much effect, how, how much impact he has on the younger guys. Uh, maybe somebody can comment on that. Uh, but I, I think situationally, he's a good guy to have on the bench. Like if it's between him and like I don't know name, I don't know name some center or whatever I would take Gasol if he's willing to come back in a in a reduced capacity and at the mm-hmm. right money I don't think it's a hard note of Gasol by any means it's only a hard note from a starting capacity if he's starting center next year you know, I, I'm worried yeah. with regards to Ibaka man I like Ibaka yeah I I, I would bring Ibaka back because the guy is uh, I think he gets along with his teammates really well I think yep. he's he's vocal. Uh, he, he on the court he's amazing with like we saw his three-point shooting he's always fit uh you know his inside game is pretty strong I, I don't know what more you would want from a from a guy coming off the bench and also he never complains mm-hmm. he never complains about starting bench all that stuff but I think much like um you know as as you said I think he's he's gonna base his decision on where can I get a title next Mm -hmm. right and if and if toronto is not the destination then he might go
2: uh some somewhere else well i mean that's the thing and it's also a a question of money too because i don't think i want to overpay mark or surge i think if the price is too high you just have to walk away from these guys but if it's reasonable i know some people are worried because you know everything's about Giannis in 2021 there's this this pipe dream but uh, I want to keep the asset if, if it's possible. If it's if the contract is so ex- lucrative that it's no longer an asset, then you let him walk. It is what it is, right? But um, if Surge wants to come back on a cheaper deal, like, you know, I don't know, man, 15, $16 million a year. Because, like, that, that sounds low, but that's what centers are getting. Like, JV got $16 million as an extension. And maybe you could say JV's not as good as Surge or JV's better than Surge. They're pretty comparable players, effectively. They're different players. And JV's younger. And, you know, the, the market for centers is just low. So if, if it's something reasonable for Surge, three-year deal, I'd do it. And if it's something really short-term for for Mark, I'd do that too. But uh, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, yeah. But I, then, uh, I mean, then what do you do with the position? So you Because I thought Nurse had this idea last year of, look, like, oh, we're going to start whoever based on matchups. And then midway through the year, it was just Mark's going to start regardless. And, you know, if you because if you look at the Celtics series, that was a matchup thing, right? Like Surge should have started some of those games or at least played, maybe it looks 48 minutes maybe he plays 30 minutes and mark plays 18 you know and, and that didn't really end up happening so i uh, don't know this is
1: one of those trust messiah things um yeah. like like who's on the market i'm tra- checking out the, the, the free agents here i mean there's, there's there's not a whole lot to go through go. uh but i uh, i don't know man what, what do you want me to do just guess <laughs> um, who should, like if you no ask no me, no, I just do, I just want we, you, I
2: just want your thoughts on the players, man. You,
1: do do we bring back Serge? I'd say absolutely, yeah. Okay, all you, right. You try to bring him back. All uh, right, you know. And and also he he works well with our guards, right? Like like if, he does, a lot, yeah. you know. So that there's a lot to be said for that. Like with a new guy, it's a whole new thing to get familiar. And the fact that he's comfortable coming off the bench and you can slot him in anywhere you want, really, that's a that's a pretty big advantage.
2: Um. There you go, and then the other, the, the last question, and the other key free agency decision is what you do with Fred VanVleet. So Fred, there is a, I would say a tepid rumor. Um, this is from Legion Hoops. This is not. What, what? This is not. I know Legion, Legion Hoops. Hoops. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it, it's not from Shams or or Woj or Mark Stein or Chris Haynes. any of these guys. Mm-hmm. It's from Legion Hoops. But Legion Hoops is saying, you know, the Knicks are ready to offer around twenty-two million dollars a year for Fred. Based on what you've seen out of Fred this year, is that something you're comfortable with, 22? 22
1: 22 million for a guy? No, I'm not comfortable with that at all. Um, No? Okay. Well, I I don't know what the relative number is compared to other guards. But I I think... Okay, let me
2: give you some... Give
1: me some some context. The range.
2: All right, so you got uh, Ricky Rubio, 17. Uh, you got Terry Rozier, 20. You got Malcolm Brogdon, 22. And I guess if you keep going further, like a Drew is signed an older deal, but he's on 25. I think I prefer to have Drew on 25 than Fred at 22, but that's also an older deal. You're not going to get that nowadays uh does that make you feel a little bit more comfortable with with fred 22 that that did not add
1: any sort of comfort to me no
2: you'd rather get 17 for ricky rubio what do you what do you what do you say no no
1: i didn't say i like ricky rubio i said Uh you you also threw in uh, brogdon in there who i like as a player
2: okay right so you want brogdon more okay i don't know do you what what do you think i think brogdon's a better scorer for sure because he's like just straight up stronger and he's bigger and stuff like that Uh but he's also really injury prone he doesn't play like a full year. I mean, I guess Fred is also succumbing to injuries a little bit too, but not in the same way. Um, I would say they're a little bit more comfortable. I think Fred is a better defensively. And Fred's a little bit better off ball as well. Like he's, he's gotten pretty good at finding opportunities to find open off ball.
1: Oh, man. I I, I disagree there, man. You don't, you don't like that? No? Uh, I, I think his
2: finding people game is still pretty no, no, suspect. No, no. Him finding people? Definitely suspect because he will okay. find his own self more often than not. But I mean like him off the ball and finding space to get open and stuff like that. His catch and shoot game is a little bit better. Mm,
1: catch, catch and shoot. Sure. Guy. I mean, uh, if
2: you go deep enough on the court, you'll always be open. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's done that. All right. He's he, I mean, look, he, he's, he said, look, I'm five foot 10. I need to shoot from 35 feet. And, I mean, yeah,
1: good. You know. Uncontested look from 35 feet. You're going to get that anytime. And, and he that's what he did against the Celtic. It was bombs away, man. Yo, it I mean, was w-
2: deep against like, those pick and pops where Jalen Brown is closing on him. This guy was shooting from the logo. <laughs> you can tell when
1: the range is out of the comfort zone of a player when they start leaning with one leg. Mm. That's when you know like, you have to put extra on your uh, on the shot because your natural shooting motion doesn't give you that range. So you've almost got to like, jump off one leg to get that. And the pers- know, there's very rare people who can hit that consistently, right? So if he's trying to do a Steph Curry move and that's going to be his primary way of like getting off the ball offense, and I'm, I'm not a big fan. And also, man, I mean, I don't know how much you consider this, but Boston's not going anywhere.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. That's true. I mean, they're, they're staying exactly where they are. They got the young guys. They're there for the next three, five years, whatever that window is. And you're going to have to go through them if you want to come back to the finals and you got to ask yourself, do you want to enter a situation where you have Jason Tatum guarding Fred Van Vliet, you know, throughout the series again? I don't know, man. Well, it it, 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 it just depends how you, because oftentimes, man, I I don't know if the NBA is there yet, but at this point, you got to look at who are the teams in the East, which we know we have to beat in the playoffs and then almost design your team to beat, you know, you know, these particular teams.
2: This is but this here's the thing. This is one of the mistakes that the Sixers made because the Sixers looked at last offseason and were like, look, all we gotta do is beat the Bucks. And <laughs> they A, they didn't get into the Bucks bracket, and B, their team sucked. They just was were poor, poorly designed. And C the Bucks weren't even the team to beat in the East. Now I'm not saying Masai is even anywhere close to the level of GM that Elton Brand is. Okay, obviously he's much better, but I think you do come run into errors, but I, I do agree with you though. What the team like the Celtics? That's a team that you can anticipate will be there going forward, because they are young, because they are pretty established. Their coach is going to be there, the gym is going to be there. They have stars for the future that they're going to keep. I think in that matchup, I think I still feel comfortable with Fred guarding Kemba. But you know, at the same time, I do hear you with the size concerns. But the thing with Fred is just I, well, okay. So, how much are you willing to What's your walkaway number for Fred?
1: Well, well, well. Hang on. It, it's not can. Fred guard Kemba. Uh, it, it's a question of, will Fred get killed by whoever's guarding him? Which I thought he did in this series. Uh, Tatum being the main guy who I, who I thought exploited him pretty much at will. And you can't always expect Kemba, to, uh, even Kemba, man. I mean, Kemba got some pretty clean, Kemba can always get a clean look. with. Yeah, Kemba he can. Jumper, the, right? the step but back is it's disgusting.
2: Not even, uh, it's yeah.
1: not even fair there.
2: I can't believe that we didn't redraft Kemba, so, man.
1: So, so go Buddy, uh, that was the year where Steve. We had
2: freaking Jose Calderon, man. Why did you not draft Kemba? I don't understand. Uh.
1: St- Steve Gennaro, who used to, PhD, Steve, who mm-hmm. used to do our draft draft coverage for Raptors Republic, uh, year after year. This is back when the draft was a, the thing to look forward to because the team oh, sucked so bad. The, right?
2: the only thing to look forward to, baby.
1: Buddy, we used to prepare for the draft starting in January. <laughs> Like the mock draft 1.0 used to come out in January. You guys
2: used to start scouting before uh, Mauricio Garardini started <laughs> Garagini, scouting. there you go.
1: <laughs> there you go. So um, I remember that year, we, uh, him and I were having a, a pretty big debate mm-hmm. on Kemba Walker versus uh, Jonas Valanciunas. And uh, I, I was very, very firmly on the Kemba side at the time. And JB turned out to be a fine pick and yeah, got totally. us, whatever. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I was always a big Kemba fan. And by the way, Will,
2: do you think the mid-range game is returning to the NBA? I do, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's I, really, good to see.
2: I think it's more balanced now um, because I think there was an inefficiency, as you mentioned, with the, the three-pointer has now been priced in. People are defending the three-point line really, really well, and they're de- defending it strategically, and there are not as many inefficiencies to exploit. So your options are like the Houston Rockets, I'll shoot, instead of exploiting the inefficiency, I'll create another inefficiency by shooting 60, which is just stupid, right? I, and it creates a basketball that I don't even want to watch. And the other option is, okay, now that people are selling out to the three-point as much, how much can they guard the mid-range? And I think, A, a lot of teams aren't even equipped to guard the mid-range anymore. Uh, and B, you know, especially when playoff defenses get really tough. I mean, the th- the three-point shot is something that you still absolutely need to have to space the floor. You can't just put five Tony Allens out there and expect to win. But you also do need someone who can get you a shot. You know, I thought we saw the last year with Kawhi. We're, we saw the last series with Tatum, saw, even with Kemba. Kemba, at the end of a game, was freaking lethal because he would just come from the right corner, come off a screen. You're chasing him. He crosses you up, and you're frozen for a second, and he gets, like, you know, a meter of space. To shoot his low mid range jumper, and it was money every time. And when you need a basket, those things really kill you. So, man, yeah. even announcers now, like, like sometimes a
1: guy fakes out, you know, he, he fakes a three and steps in for a jumper. Mm-hmm. And the announcers are like, well, you see what he did there? Like, he took a mid range jumper. A <laughs> mid range jumper is something you take when, you know, somebody's running at you, and you just take a little dribble and you get that mid range jumper. And I'm like, yeah, th- th- yeah. that's exactly what a mid range jumper is. Man. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, look, you're not you're not like okay. I'm gonna no more like no more Aaron O'Flalo types, you know. Like Demar is the last Aaron O'Flalo type, where you just give it to him in the mid post. He jab steps and then he like shoots the mellow jumper or whatever. You're not doing that as much, but hey, who's gonna make more money this summer, Demar or Fred? Ah, that's a great question. Um, I actually think Demar might take the take the player option. To be honest, it's it's still quite a bit of money to, to to be there, but um. How much is it? Is it like 30? Is is that what we gave him? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me look that up. But, uh, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I think, it, it, uh, I think, think Damar ultimately makes a little bit more, but it's, it's too close for the fact that Damar is still a better player than Fred. Oh, uh, Damar has a $28 million player option. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's going to pick that up, man, uh, unless he gets a
1: really long-term deal, but I don't even see who can offer him, um, uh, 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 uh that long of deal D- yeah. yeah
2: but i mean the, the thing with demar is look demar had a really efficient year and still a lot of teams are going to be looking at the situation being like i can win with a fred kind of player because fred could do this this and this for my team he can shoot threes he can you know play off the ball he can defend you know whereas with demar you if you sign demar you have to play demar ball and demar ball doesn't win that much and that's probably why he what doesn't get his
1: what play. other Shooting like, would guards, you rather have you, Westbrook
2: do, do, or Fred in the playoff series? Westbrook or Fred? Oh, my God. I'm, I, honestly, I'd Westbrook rather have Fred. Too, I'm serious. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't want to see my team doing the Russell Westbrook. Like, oh, uh, you know, R- Rajon Rondo's brother looked at me differently, and now I have to shoot five mid-range jumpers and scream, you got to double-team me when I'm down 30 points. I don't want to see that stuff. I'd rather see Fred. I don't care if he's missing layups, man. Fred, uh, Westbrook will miss layups, too. <laughs>
1: the the other day i was on this uh, on this whose take show that uh, we do and uh, there was like a joke question is like russell westbrook is a finish the tweet and the first thing that popped into my head was like not a starting nba point guard yeah and and i was trying to be like funny or whatever but there's an element of truth to that man the way he runs a team is just destructive to the entire team mm-hmm. and i'm a and I don't have many NBA jerseys, but I do have a Russell Westbrook jersey because I loved him that much. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, when I, when I see him play now, it's like, fuck, man! Like you're hurt, you're actively hurting the team with yep. your decision making. Yeah. Uh, by the way, f- for DeRozan, how many shooting guards do you know that shoot less than twenty six percent and make thirty million dollars
2: from three? Yeah. I mean, Butler shot it really badly this year, but Butler can still shoot. We, we're seeing it in the playoffs here. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know, man. I thought Not Dwayne many. Wade was. I thought Dwayne Wade was going to be the last one, and yeah. he probably was after Demar.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, that's the thing, though. But Demar is very useful. Like, if someone could have Demar DeRozan as a sixth man offensively, because he can really, he's very sophisticated. He's very savvy with his moves. You know. He, he, you think he's he'll accept better. a sixth man role somewhere? I mean, sometimes life makes decisions for you, you know? That could be one of those situations. Unless he wants to keep playing, like, m- you know, with the Spurs and miss the playoffs. He's going to so. pull an AI. I'm a starter. <laughs> yeah, where did he do that? Where is, like, Detroit, Detroit or Memphis? Detroit, yeah. Yeah, that Detroit was Memphis. real, real yeah. sad seeing him in Memphis, man. Yeah. That did not make any sense.
1: I think uh, his uh, his uh, fund kicks in any time now, right? The Reebok fund? Oh, that's right. yeah, yeah. The one where... 30 million dollars or
2: whatever where he would, would you get some out of his uh brokenness i i just hope he gets uh into a healthier space in general you know because you never want to see a legend like that you know like i want to see all my legends like bill russell you know just every year at the finals they wheel oh, him okay. out hands out the trophy he's on twitter you know he looks pretty good for if i look like that when i'm 98 years old you know whatever he is you know like that'd be great so
1: yeah, uh, I I think uh 30 years from now, man, you'll be attending the sports conferences. They're gonna wheel you out <laughs> like Bill oh, man. Yeah, man. Here's William Lou, <laughs> legend. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> wow.
2: All right. Um yeah, it's all right, man. Always 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 love doing this. Uh always love chatting with you, man. Um you've been doing a lot of great work, seriously. Uh, I'd like I'd like to plug it. Uh, but I also want you to talk about it, you know. But I for me personally, I've really enjoyed your, your interview series. Uh, I always love that you're back on the podcasting airwaves. You know, uh, pe- for people who don't know, like long-time listeners, like Zirai gave me my start in podcasting because you had to do an MBA one year. And I was like, that's fine. I'll take over the podcast. And it launched a career. But you've been doing this interview series. You, um, I listened to one. You interviewed Dave Hopla. Mm-hmm. That was quite good. Um, so there's a lot of Raptor history there. He's also had an interesting career. And you're also making these videos now. In addition to the columns that people already know you for, uh, these, these YouTube breakdown videos on Raptors Republic, uh, tell people about the, the interview and then also the video.
1: Well the, the interview series is a little bit a uh, little bit different because uh, it's not so much about um, uh, you know uh, the, the, what just happened that week. it's more about getting to know some people a little bit more deeply and, and get some people who really have uh, experience and expertise on a subject matter and uh, to comment on it. Um, you know, like sometimes we, you know, like, uh, we interview people who like, who are maybe popular, but necessarily don't have the the background, whatever experience or education to comment on certain things. And then we give them a, a pretty big voice. So I, I thought, are there people in, um, you know, in our, uh, in, in, who are willing to come on and talk about things that they are an expert at. So I had Dave Hopla, who was freaking amazing, man. Like his, mm-hmm. uh, like talking to him offline, uh, like he gave me a bunch of shooting tips, like <laughs> on on how to shoot, and I and I went to the park and I tried them all, and it made complete sense, man. Like a lot of what he says is it, yeah. is a little unorthodox, but it but it does actually work. What, so for example, what did what, he tell you? Like, like one of his things was like people always say be straight up when you go go for a shot, mm. and he's like I never teach NBA players that I always go lead with your shooting foot. So, so you should be like if you're a right-handed player, you should be facing a little to the left of the rim so, so right that your start. right hand is aligned with it. Yeah. Okay. And uh, he really emphasized that point because one of my favorite jump shooters was uh, Alan Houston uh, from, okay. the, from the Detroit and uh, from New York Knicks, And uh, his shot is actually considered unorthodox because he goes straight up. And he goes like, if you're, if you're like a, you know, a middling shooter, and if you're, if you're struggling with your shot – the way to get better is not necessarily to emulate your best NBA player. The way to, the way to get better is to actually do this little unorthodox thing. Cause this will help you more. Mm. Uh, and and a bunch of things about the the shooting window, which he talks about. Uh, so there's then And then with when the, when the black lives uh, matter movement kicked off, I think I interviewed a couple of academics who had yeah. really researched the area, you know, you know, uh, I
2: believe George Day, uh,
1: professor yeah, George Day, UFT, yeah. G- George Day, and uh, Edward Gama from uh, from UFT was there too. So I think they they offered a voice which I think was missing at the time, and it was like a long interview. It was like an hour, full hour. Uh, so I try to give th- those voices. I'm trying to get uh, a couple of art- local Toronto artists to come on and talk about uh, raptors because uh, some of their work is pretty beautiful. So I don't know. Stay tuned. It's it's not a weekly thing. Like I look forward to your interview in with
2: Cardinal off a man. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. And then the videos, the videos. You're, you're, oh, you're, hop- the videos you're are hopping nice, into YouTube game, man.
1: I, I, I am because I, I find it, uh, because I, I find uh, whenever you are analyzing basketball, you know, we often squeeze in weasel words. Like weasel words are like, sometimes, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. like, like th- those little caveats you add in into your writing so that you don't get called out for it you know, the English language is full of those weasel words people throw in there. Like, you know, perhaps, maybe something, you know, all these things. So I kind of wanted to get away from that and actually look at some actual basketball footage and give people some examples on what I mean. Like basically when I'm not a good enough writer where I can convey everything I want to convey in words. So I thought video is a a good way to kind of overlay that with the words. and, and And I think it's worked out and I've gotten a lot of good feedback from it. And, uh, people find it helpful. So uh, yeah, check out Raptors Republic's uh, YouTube channel. We're, we're trying to invest in it more. Uh, and by invest, I mean like we're trying to put a lot of hours in it. So yeah, follow it. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, It's, it's then, no longer uh,
2: just uh, the, a podcast audio with a, a static image. Well, for years it used to be, uh, <laughs> well we had because, the post game interviews too for a while. Yeah. Because, to, uh, yeah.
1: because I wrote a script, which, uh-huh. which went to Raptors.com stole their videos And post it on our YouTube channel. And, you know, that was our thing. But then I was like, man, come on, let's, we can do better than this.
2: Hmm. I mean, the game is the game, man. I mean, there's also, you know, people, there's already an economy for that. So, no, it's good. I mean, I enjoyed the play breakdowns. Like, that's my favorite thing to watch on YouTube, in addition to like, just like weird hocus pocus geography stuff. You know, stuff like, oh, what if Korea, South Korea, North Korea reunited? And I'm like, yeah, I'll spend 10 minutes watching this. And they're like, yeah, this is not a great idea. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. you're but, not a big fan of uh, Stephen A. Stephen A.'s rage videos. I don't. I don't really watch those rage no. videos. Although no. today I had to indulge after the Clippers' loss. I had you know you just gotta dig in once in a while. It's like ice cream. You're not gonna eat it yeah, every yeah. day, but yeah. once in a while you just gotta dig in. Get a spoonful yeah. of Stephen A. yelling at Max Kellerman for saying uh, Kawhi is better than Kobe. Which uh, I mean, come on, man. Why, why did you say that?
1: <laughs> I, I don't think when whoever that guy is you mentioned, uh, whenever he said that. He was purposely lying to himself to get a yeah, reaction. Probably, that's, yeah. that's the thing.
2: Um, but no, the basketball videos, the breakdowns is great. Uh, I really enjoy it. You know, you obviously are very knowledgeable basketball mind. It's not overly complicated. You're not trying to explain what a 21 pistol action is or anything like that. You're just showing in detail what people are doing, what they can be doing better. And the OG video is a great example of that. So, sir so man, one of the OGs of this game. I appreciate you for everything, really, but all, especially here for your time to come on the podcast. And, um, Yeah, thanks for wrapping up the season with me, man. Anytime, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me on.
0: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me,
1: that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom
2: worked for me.
0: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers.